The Beauty of Riots by M.K. Lords. When the L.A. riots happened in 1992, I was too young to understand what was happening. Much of what was reported was through the limited lens of a handful of corporate media programs. There was enormous police brutality and mixed messages from every source, but it was obvious that the murder of Rodney King and the subsequent acquittals of the officers who killed him marked a turning point in history where people finally had enough. As L.A. burned, people watched from the safety of their living rooms. Certain such riots would never happen in their neighborhoods, in their cities. Their Mayberry good old boys in their jaunty tan suits could be trusted and were only out to get the bad guys. I didn't grow up with these cops, though. I grew up in public schools where resource officers carried somewhat lethal weapons to subdue elementary-aged children with. Yet, we were taught we could have a conversation with them. I don't know anyone who needs to bring a gun to a peaceful conversation. And if they do, I don't think they want to hear my two cents. Nearly 30 years later, I was glued to my laptop and television like everyone else in the country. Those good old boys donned black now and carried less than lethal and more than a little lethal weapons that would make Bernie Fife piss his pants. The National Guard was also out, but I'm not sure there was much distinction between them and the local militarized police. I had heard reports of looting and nefarious plots by Antifa, so I had to see for myself what was going down in my neighborhood. Local news called these demonstrations riots instead of protests. But if they're not going to make the distinction, I won't either. The sounds of helicopters and loud bursts from flashbangs and rubber bullets only a few blocks away filled the air day and night. After watching 24-hour news hyper-focus on the tiny amount of people redistributing some looted wealth, I knew there was a bigger story, especially when first-hand accounts and reports from people I've known for years showed something entirely different. The battle against police brutality went from one state and one country to a worldwide fight overnight. We were, and still are, at a crucial point in history. I suited up to see what these so-called criminals were up to, because having been to many protests in years past, I knew that they were overwhelmingly peaceful, at least from the side of the protesters. My riot gear included water for hydration and for tear gas, Sunscreen, a hat, a towel, emergency numbers sharpied on my skin in case I was arrested, and my phone, with location and data disabled, to document anything that might be useful for protecting people against the state. There's an intimacy in protests that the state hates. When people from diverse backgrounds unite around a common cause, it tears down the narratives they've spent so much effort on to divide us. And that's what I saw. Unity. People from every ethnic and class background marching together with chants of, say his name, George Floyd, say her name, Breonna Taylor, say their name, which one? In classics, such as, hey, hey, ho, ho, these racist cops have got to go. But there wasn't just unity among protesters marching. Every couple of blocks, people were handing out water, snacks, popsicles, and many rodent cars along us with supplies. Horns honked and music blasted from cars stopped at intersections as we shut down the historic streets of Santa Monica Boulevard, La Cienega, and the Sunset Strip. Businesses boarded up from both the pandemic and the protests cheered on Black Lives Matter in distant, spray-painted solidarity. The 90-plus degree heat was stifling, but we didn't give up. 
As some people dropped off to take a rest, others joined us as we marched through West Hollywood, Hollywood, and Beverly Hills. We picked up people looking for a march to join, and our numbers grew. Signs hung from the modest homes and the decadent ones, showing their support. People waved and raised fists from their windows. Tow truck drivers, welders, construction workers, small and large business owners, and people from all walks of life stood outside with raised fists, cheering us on. The support was overwhelming and inspiring. The city was alive despite ravaging by the COVID-19 virus. As an activist who had to take a long break due to burnout, my strength and conviction was renewed. Everyone around me kept a respectable distance, most wore masks, and we didn't waver in the face of L.A. County sheriffs, LAPD, and National Guard lines armed to the teeth. And armed for what? Did they really expect any of these people to have the capacity to harm them? Most people were dressed in summer clothes, not even wearing any protective gear, which I admit I thought I might need more of in the event the police turned violent. If you need weapons of war to handle these obviously harmless people, you might not be fit for community defense of any kind. As we confronted a barricade at La Cienega in sunset with chants of, I can't breathe, one National Guardsman snidely whispered under his breath to another one, he says that as he walks away, as if his impotent display of masculinity thwarted the protester, instead of them just losing interest in the infantile protection of Chase Bank. The only other near-violence I encountered was when we were crossing a large intersection at Sweetser Drive, where a BMW driven by an impatient boomer-aged white male came within inches of swiping me, intentionally. This only confirmed my long-standing theory that BMW drivers are near the top of the hierarchy for worse drivers by car. Yes, I judge people by car, and BMW drivers narrowly beat out Dodge Chargers slash Challengers and pickup trucks with oversized wheels for the top spot. And yes, this is nationwide. Of course, I was much more worried about violence from cops. So many people I've known have encountered police brutality, and I've only narrowly escaped dangerous police situations due to my white privilege. I've seen how police have treated my darker-skinned friends, and I don't know a person of color who hasn't experienced some form of police or societal discrimination. I grew up in the South, where having black skin may well have been a death sentence. I'm not going to entertain discussions about how the racism of police is supposedly a side effect of institutionalized policing, rather than a pillar it rests on. I've seen with my own eyes many times how the cops are adversarial at best and lethal at worst when it comes to public safety, and far more on the lethal side if black lives are involved. And you can't separate the origins of policing in the U.S. from its historical roots in catching runaway slaves, no matter what justifications can be invented. We ended at La Cienega and Santa Monica Boulevard. Hundreds of us took a knee in the middle of one of the most massive intersections in L.A. under giant movie billboards for 8 minutes and 46 seconds, the length of time it took Derek Chauvin to kill George Floyd. In the middle of one of the busiest intersections in L.A., cars stopped, people kneeled, and there was silence for those few minutes. It only took less than eight minutes to murder a man, and we felt every minute as the sweat and tears dripped from our bodies and our knees buckled from the pressure. Mild discomforts that paled in comparison to the pain of dying from an officer cutting off your air supply. This moment was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. To hear silence in a city as loud as L.A. is rare, 
but not a horn honked as we kneeled there, not knowing if better days would come, but reflecting on who we've lost, and if we'd ever see days where black voices are heard, really heard, not ruthlessly silenced. When you arm institutions with historical and present ties to white supremacy with military-grade weapons, it's impossible to turn around and say they're not going to use them against the same people they've always killed without due process. There was little difference between the people who killed George Floyd and the racists who killed Ahmaud Arbery, who were found to have ties to police, and one was alleged to have yelled racial epithets before murdering Ahmad. Many want to say as a nation we are somehow past the crimes of our history, but we aren't. They continue to haunt us and will until there's reconciliation of how the dominant racial class has treated minorities of all kinds, both politically and socially. The media doesn't help these prejudiced views by reporting on only the violence against property while leaving out showing the police violence against people. They ask us, why are some people being violent? Instead of asking crucial questions about the violence of institutions that have created, codified, and punished generational poverty. Some people hate to hear it, but the only justice is social justice. The current system refuses to prosecute those alleged few bad apples. And now, even regular non-political people have taken to the streets around the world. People have hung signs in their windows showing support and people instinctively pull out their phones when they see cops or National Guard. The protests have brought together a loose coalition of peacekeepers here in LA, and while I always have concern about the follow-through of movements, this country will thrive if the demands of Black Lives Matter are met immediately, not in another 30 years. This is a momentum that must be maintained. Since this protest and the many others, 100 to $150 million has been proposed to be cut from the LAPD's budget. There are calls for the resignation of Mayor Eric Garcetti, who ordered the National Guard to intervene on top of the already notoriously brutal LA city and county departments, as well as protests outside his mansion. Curfews have also been ended, hopefully decreasing the violence from the police. It isn't enough. It won't be enough until we remove the weapons of war from the hands of monsters at home and overseas and defund the police. Yes, I said it. Defund the police. We're only seeing a microcosm of what's been inflicted on other countries by the U.S. military. Police brutality is the war at home. War crimes are being committed on U.S. soil while many remain silent, either in support of them or indifferent to the suffering of others. While we're at it, defund the military, too. There comes a time when time has run out, when the people grow weary of the same knees being on their necks, and when you have to stand up to tyranny when it comes to your front door, as it literally did in neighborhoods in Minnesota and D.C. At every crucial point in history, there is a dividing line between tyranny and freedom, and there are those on either side. There are still people living from a time where children trying to go to newly integrated schools were spat upon. Some of those people are still spitting. Some of their children are saying all lives matter, like it would be acceptable to show up to a breast cancer rally screaming about prostate cancer. This is another one of those times in history where there is a clear line about who is right and who is wrong. And if you support the military and militarized police killing and maiming protesters, 
You can't cry when they come to your neighborhoods and tear gas your children, because it's only a matter of time before they do. The cowardice of silence perpetuates the violence whether you think it does or not. Civility is a velvet veneer that cloaks violence, but there's nothing civil about both political parties empowering the police to brutalize medics and peace activists. The distraction the media tries to paint about looters and anarchist groups is the same propaganda used by the FBI and COINTELPRO to fracture civil rights organizations. Don't fall for it. These protests are and always have been about the disproportionate violence police bring to marginalized communities. Everything else is meant to take focus away from people asking for the most basic human decency, the right to not be treated as a criminal first and a casualty immediately after. It's time to stand up, make noise, and if there's no justice, there will be no peace. How can there be peace? when peace enforcers are armed with warfare weapons. It was the war makers home and abroad who cast the first stone. The people are only defending themselves from tyranny. Rest in power to George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Victor Steen, Corinne Gaines, Freddie Gray, and the countless others we had to respond, which one, to the chant of, say their names, because the count is too high. It's always been too high. Black lives matter because all lives don't.